focusing on worship and service to God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our master, we thank you for your wonderful love and kindness. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to come to your house to hear your word and to refocus our strength, our energy, and directions on you. We know you are here because that is your word to us, that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in their midst. Therefore, speak to us, speak through me, and may all that we share be done in the spirit and in truth and help us to be your servants, both now and forevermore. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, there are many, many distractions that we have in this world. And sometimes it's so difficult to keep our focus on God and on the service to God. If we were to take a log of your day, the 8 or 16 hours you are awake, I don't know how long you stay awake, and just mark how many hours you spend on doing certain things, on telephone calls, on the internet, on listening to results from uh, presidential contests, or watching your favorite team play, whether it is Ghana or abroad. If you were to log your time and you see where you actually spend your time, and that's an indication of your priorities, your allocation of time. If we were to even take your own money that you have, your salary that you say will not take you home, but somehow it takes you home, and you are just checking your budget, what you spent on this and this and this and that, not just for food, shelter, and clothing, but for other things. How much you give as your tithe to the Lord or your offering to the poor and to the needy. It will show you where your priorities lie and perhaps help you to refocus and adjust a few things. That's why an ancient man said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Today, the passage we read, we had to stop on verse 10 because if we were to finish reading it, most of us may not even appreciate what all of this thing is about. It will send us yawning. In the book of Numbers that was read to us, God had finally led his people from captivity, and now they are almost in the promised land. And God wants them to focus on him and focus on his love for them. Focus on the fact that he's the one who made them. And he made them in his image, and they are supposed to worship him. So today when you're talking about focusing on God and service to God, it is what God expects his people to do always. And there's a reason for that. We'll see the reason why God gave them that commandment. We'll see what it meant in the life of the Israelites and how they got into trouble when they were not able to do what God expected of them. And by implication, teach us how we can focus on God to worship him and to serve him. This Numbers 28, among others, was a reminder to the new generation. The older generation had all been wiped out. Only a few were left. So Moses is here reminding the children of Israel what they are supposed to do, what got their parents into trouble, and when they get to the promised land, what they must do. 
If I want to make a quick application, you were in the world. God has saved you. He still has left you here. What are you supposed to do? It's interesting to know that God said something to the Israelites and to Pharaoh. When he called Moses in the desert and asked him to go to Pharaoh, what was God's message that Moses was supposed to give to the Israelites? Can somebody tell me? What was the message? Let my... Let my... Thank you. You are wrong. You are wrong. We are wrong because that is how we hear it. Let my people go is what is in the musical. Let my people go is what is in the musical. But when you read God's commandment to Moses and what Moses was supposed to tell Pharaoh was God did not make mistake. Let my people go that they may worship me. Let my people go that they may serve me. He wasn't asking his people to leave Egypt and go on an excursion to see what the desert looks like. He wasn't asking them to go to the promised land to see what the land looks like, the land of milk and honey. He did not save you and I to live in Ghana and go to Japan, go to Ethiopia, go to Israel, go to Jordan, go to Turkey to see all those lands and see what it looks like. As good as those things are. Let my people go that they may worship me, that they may serve me. And sometimes, like them, we get half the message. We are so excited, we are liberated. We have been forgiven. But we don't know why we've been forgiven. And God never has forgotten why he saved you. And so, in this book, he's reminding them what it means for them to worship in the promised land. Worship in the promised land was supposed to follow some very, very specific acts. God had always expected his people to worship him and to serve him. So it looks as if when the people of old, the Israelites, Abraham's children, finally went to Egypt because they wanted food, all their priorities got wrong. They were in servitude, they were serving, they were in pain, they were multiplying children, they were hungry, they were oppressed. So it looks as if God didn't really have people who fellowshiped with him. He may not have had people who were, I mean, just worshipping him the way that will make God happy. Because God is all things, but God cannot worship himself. God cannot serve himself. He made us in his image so that we can serve him and worship him. That's why he made Adam and Eve. That's why he made you and I. And so they were not worshipping him and serving him. But when the time came and he liberated them, he said, these are peculiar people. These are special people. I've taught these people certain things. They've forgotten them. 300, 400 years of being in exile, they've forgotten them. And therefore, when they go, they will worship me and serve me. That is the reason why God has saved us. I remember the old catechism when we were growing up. Why did God save us? Who made us? God made us. Why did God make us? That we may do what? We may worship him and serve him. That's the old catechism. And it is, it is still true. In the worship in the Old Testament, it involved a lot of sacrifices and offering. And if you're able to see the first chart, it's scary. Worship that involved a lot of rituals. If I were a priest in the Old Testament, I would spend a lot of time to learn the sacrifices, the offerings, and what to do at the right time. 
then you begin to see and learn that God is a God of order. When you talk about sacrifices and offering, these involved burnt offerings. These involved fruit. These involved a lot of things. And everyone was specific what he was supposed to be doing. The Old Testament sacrifices, there were basically two types of offering. One was the kind of offering that would smell. It was thinking. Not because it was rotten, but the reason for making those sacrifices was because the people had sinned against God. So there were offerings that were called foul-smelling sacrifices. These were sin offerings. And they were the kind of offering that you offered to God when you had sinned against God. When you had sinned against your neighbor. The offering was offered to pay for your sin. It atoned for the guilt. You did something wrong against God, against your neighbor. You paid for it. I am guilty. Lord, forgive me. And what do you do? You offered it to God. The blood was sprinkled on the holy place in the tabernacle, on the, on the altar. You bent an incense and you did all these things to show, Lord, I'm sorry, I blew it. A second form of offering that was called foul smelling was one for trespass. Trespass, when you are also guilty, you offer certain things to God to show that you are guilty. So there are two types of offering, sin offering and trespass offering. As students of the Bible, get a good study Bible, you can go into this. I won't have the time unless I have two or four hours to go through this. But there were other types of offerings that were pleasing to God, sweet aroma to God. And these were bent offering. What was it? You bent an offering every day in the tabernacle. And as it continued to burn, and the incense went to God, it just shows, Lord, we love you. We know you are there for us. We are there for you. They did it every day and every morning. It was burning. Then there was a grain offering. These were agricultural people who went to farm. So whatever you get, you bring some to the house of God. The grain offering was a sweet-smelling sacrifice which involved the offerer cooking and cooking bread and offering it to God. It had to include fine flour, frankincense, oil, salt. It emphasized the covenant relationship between the people and their God and how God took care of them. Then there was a peace offering. The peace offering was a celebration of peace that already God had made with them. God had, was at peace with them. And they had to thank him by making peace offering, celebrating his covenant. And so these offerings, God ordered them. And the priests were to be careful in making this offering to people. Now, in the book, in the chapter we read, it tells us what they were supposed to do. And if you have that chart, you show it. When you go through that chart, you see the number of offerings that they were supposed to give. And even looking at it, now I've just taken some out, and I'll go through some of them. I hope you stay with me. You don't sleep before I finish. Just going through this list, God was showing them what they were supposed to do on a daily basis, I mean on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis. And just keeping them in mind and getting all that is required to make this sacrifice will cause you to even become a dizzy. And if you are a true worshiper of God, you needed to do these things faithfully. Those who call themselves righteous did this. Now, 
There's something we say about the Pharisees. And let me tell you a history about a little bit of our understanding of the Pharisees. Because most of the Israelites did not do these things very well, they paid the price by going into slavery or into exile. God punished them when they did not do what God wanted them to do. And when they went into exile, they, were so, they felt so bad and so guilty that some of them set themselves apart. That look, if these are the things that we did that brought us into exile, then Lord God, from now on we have learned our lesson. We will worship you, we will serve you. So the Pharisees, and the meaning of their name is the separated ones. They separated themselves that they will fulfill everything that God had asked them to do. That they did not do that sent them into exile. And they decided, oh, we don't have 10 commandments. We have 613 commandments. And so we bind ourselves together to encourage each other to examine this thing and to offer all these sacrifices, pe, 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 as is pleasing to God. What problem did Jesus have with them? Uh, some of the things that they did were so mechanical. It wasn't even from their heart. They decided we are going to obey God anyway, so you obey him without knowing that there's a spirit behind what God commanded. There should be an attitude. There should be forgiveness. And they were just burdens that he put on their people. So the condemnation of Jesus did not come because they were obeying God, but because they were obeying God mechanically. Now, if you can see that list, or let me just go over it, there were daily sacrifices. And note the daily sacrifice, one male lamp in the morning and one in the evening. So every day, you, you burn two animals, one in the morning, one in the evening. Every week, particularly on the Sabbath, you burn two meals, one regular and one offering. For this, you have grain offering, you have drink offering. Every month, on a monthly basis, you burn or you give to God two young bulls, one ram, seven meals each. You do this, and you go there and say, oh Lord, we are worshipping you. And all these things were burnt in the temple, and the priest did that. Every, now this, so this is the daily, weekly, and Sabbath, new moon. Then you have the annual events, and the annual events, you can imagine, was a different story. Passover on leavened bread. After each, and on each Passover day, every day, you have what? Two young bulls, seven male lambs. On the second day, one lamb, one burnt offering. They list them, what you are supposed to do. God commanded all of this, and you can read them in Numbers 28. That's why it looks boring to you. But if we're in the Old Testament, you were supposed to know it and follow it. Otherwise, you are disobedient. Feast of weeks, that's after the Pentecost, what do you do? You have seven young bulls each, one run, seven meals, and you burn them regularly and give to God. Feast of trumpets, one young bull, one ram, seven meals each, and add the monthly offering. Then day of atonement, which was the day, the holy of holies, one young bull, one ram, seven male lambs each, and one ram for the nation, one goat added. Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, that one, you read it. <laughs> First day, 13 bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs. Second day, 12 bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs. Third day, 11 to 14. Fourth day, 
up to eight days. Every day, God specified what they should do. I don't know what lesson you are learning. Let my people go that they may worship me and serve me. It's all about him, not about you. So when you work, he blesses you. And when he blesses you, you see that you have a landlord. You pay the rent, you pay the dues, you thank him, you worship him. That is why God made them. And anytime they fell foul of these things, they paid for it. Hello. If God were to require these of you, how many of us would survive? How many? How many? I wonder. One ram, one bull. Do you know how much a goat sells? Do you know how much a cow sells? And every day you are to bring them. They just bend them. Some of them the priests ate it. But you are to bring them. And you work. And this was supposed to let them know who they belong to. The God who made them. The God they serve. Well, they are human beings just like us. And so did they obey? Some tried and some didn't. Now, when you fast forward this before Jesus came, by the time they actually got into the New Testament before Jesus came, the temple worship had been so formalized that even the priest decided to benefit from this. So you cannot just raise your own sheep or lamb or goat or bull and bring it to the temple. You have to buy it from me. This is Fred Digby approved cow. This is Deacon so-and-so sheep. This has a stamp of approval from Professor so-and-so, uh, Deaconess so-and-so. I mean, they had to rabbi so-and-so, professor so-and-so. They had all these crowds and all these things, and you had to buy them. And people were just tired and fed up. In addition to that, you just can't come from Nigeria or come from London like the one just came and bring the queen's money with the queen's head. No. You have to get some special money. And you get the money for the sacrifice from Mrs. Redu Forest Bureau. Certified Mrs. Bureau. Approved. I mean, what a life. Tell your brother what a life. And how many people do you think will live this life faithfully? How many? Even me reading this thing, I can't even remember them. How many? When I remember what the Lord has done, I will never go back anymore. When I remember what the Lord has done, I will never anymore. So what was meant to cause the people to focus on God became a source for their own condemnation because they were still in the flesh. They read this, they wouldn't do it. Because even from the Garden of Eden, between Cain and Abel, one 
saw what he would give to God, he said, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it. His other brother said, what? Take this and give to this God. No, I won't do it. And so that has been the human story over and over and over again. And in this reminder to them, which you are not even able to read and even remember. Well, I was watching you when she was reading. Most of you were not even listening. We will not even remember it. Jesus said, God, you were teaching them a lesson. What's the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's simple. The Old Testament is a shadow of the real thing. The Old Testament is revealed in the New. God takes us as students to go through life. And then when you have failed, now he teaches you the lesson. And you have to learn the lesson that it is only by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That even in those days, they did not do what God expected them to do very well. By his grace and favor, kept them morning after morning, day in and day out. Lamentation 3.23. His mercies are renewed every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. Hallelujah. And so they learned those lessons. Some learned and some didn't learn. Let my people go that they may worship me. And they got to the promised land and they were supposed to be farmers and raise sheep, goat, turkey, pigeons, fruit, and bring them to the Lord. And for many of them, they didn't. Then Jesus came. And Jesus came as a lamb of God. That will cause us to receive all the benefits that God wanted his people to have when they worship him. And for these major five offerings that they were supposed to give to God, Christ fulfilled all of them. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. What did these offerings mean to give them to God? Burnt offering was to make us one with God, at atonement, at one meant to be one with God. Christ's sinless nature gave us a bridge between us and God. We come to God on the basis of the finished work of Christ for us. The grain offering, to show our dedication and consecration to God, that what you've blessed me with, Lord, I brought it back to you. I'm dedicated to you. I'm grateful to you. Well, Christ did not take corn or maize or millet. He gave his own body for you and I. Peace offering was given in order to reconcile us to God. What did he do? He died on the cross for you and I and said, I've made peace with God. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He had made peace with God. Sin offering which was done on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when they put their hands on that goat and put all the curses on the animal and let it go. He said, no, I am cursed for you. Curses everyone who hung on the tree. He hung on the tree for us to become our substitute. Trespass offering. When you sin against somebody and you are sorry, 
you give trespass offering and showing that you have repented, you won't do it again. And Christ became our trespass offering once and for all. And so when you come to the book of Hebrews, and the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us all these things, all that he's telling you is that, look, some people in the past got a shadow of what worshiping of God is. To serve him and to worship him, they didn't get it. You now have somebody who has paid all the price for you. Why don't you worship him and serve him? So that God will give you the benefits and the blessings that you need. How do we apply this? Three lessons how we can focus on God looking back at what he's done for us. Lesson number one. All the promises and all the sacrifices that they were supposed to make, all of them were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is what we read in Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to 18. Read Hebrews 10, 1 to 18. Read that book. The blood of animals can never take away sin, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. 1 John 1, 7, Ephesians 1, 7, Revelation 1, 5. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. And therefore, we are to give thanks to God always for his unspeakable gift in Christ. Second lesson. You see, if all these gifts are made and nothing comes out of it, what happens? If they are not able to do it, what happens to the nation? The nation of Israel could not function the way the nation of Israel was constituted as a nation to worship God, to adore God and to serve him could not have functioned without priests. Are you with me? All the things that they, were, they listed for them to do, they couldn't have done them if they didn't have priests or have priests who were not faithful, who were not loyal. So they had priests who were loyal and faithful like Samuel, but the other priests like who, who were not faithful, like the Eli's who were not faithful. In the same way, a nation cannot function well when there are Christians who don't see their role as God has placed us here to worship him and to serve him and to offer sacrifices of praise, of intercession to him. Priests were to represent the people before God. Your people have sinned against you. Lord, your people have been strayed. They stray away from you. Lord, forgive them. Lord, bring righteousness. But if the priests decide that now we will cheat, we will lie, we will take advantage of the people, then you are showing the wrong side of God to the people. The nation could not have functioned. If you find any nation not functioning properly, and they say there are spiritual people in that nation, ask them what's going on. Let's ask ourselves what is wrong. And therefore we find many, many passages in the, in the Old Testament, even up to the New Testament, when Jesus was quarreling with the Pharisees, he was quarreling with them, not because they had decided to obey the law, but because when they decided to obey the law, they were not doing that. Like you and I who say, God has called us. Oh, God has made you a church member. You are a member of Calvary. You are a Christian. You are, you are what? Uh, an evangelist. You are a prophet. You are this. His name is on you. Are you doing what God has called you to do? At your workplace? In the market? Are you doing what he has called you to do? On the road? Are we driving like the way he expects us to? In your hospital, in your clinic, in the classroom, are you doing what he has expected? 
what he's expecting you to do so that they will not take the name of the Lord in vain. All priests were to bring spiritual sacrifices to our God. First Peter 2 9, we are made a kingdom of priests. And what are some of the sacrifices that we can bring to God? Yes, they were to bring animals. We are not supposed to bring animals. What are some of them? We are to bring our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Come before him with a living sacrifice. The people that we win to Christ, we bring them as, Lord, these are the fruits that you have given me. These are my brothers and sisters rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lord, I bring them to you. Our money and material gifts. Yes, Lord, everything is about you and you gave me everything. I give them back to you for the promotion of your work. Then, of course, our praise and our worship. Lord, we bring sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. Can we try that? We bring sacrifice. Can we bring them to the Lord and sing to him? A life of sacrifice, but a life that opens the lips to sing to him. Let's try one. Not just in singing, but in our lives. Let's go. Can we stand? Let's stand. Let's stand. I know it's a tough summer. Some of you are sleeping on me, but wake up. Sing it properly now that you mean it. to God from holy lives from reverential lips from hearts that are committed and dedicated to God it becomes a sweet aroma to the Lord hallelujah so our bodies people want to Christ our money our worship and our praise our good works he who does good she who does good to the poor to the needy lends to the Lord their maker he who takes care of widows and orphans and all those who have needs, you do it for the Lord. Particularly those of you in the helping professions. You have the opportunity as a nurse, as a doctor, as a counselor, as whatever, to do good to others. Can you do it as a service unto God? Jesus is amazing in the kind of thing that he tells us is pleasing to God. Somebody asked, who is my neighbor? He expected Jesus to tell him, oh, you're Jew." Your Jewish friend is your neighbor. And Jesus told him a very long story. In that story, one of the people hated by the Jews, a Samaritan, was the one Jesus made the hero of that story. When at the end of it, he asked the lawyer, who do you think was this man's neighbor? 
the man's prejudice was so, so monumental that he could not open his mouth to say Samaritan. He said, the one who helped him when he was in need. He couldn't say Samaritan. Some of us, we come to church. But he can't say, this man is a fanti. This man is Dagbani. This man is my brother. No, this man is this. This one is this. This man is this. You can't just say, he's my brother. So people come to church, they hear things. It goes one ear, it goes to the other one. And you have classmates in that man. He cannot mention the Samaritan because that's a taboo. That's how prejudice kills us. May God help us. So good works. Then it says when you hear all these things, a broken and a contrite heart is also pleasing to God. That Lord, I've blown it. Lord, I have offended you. Father, I do not meet your standards. You see, the interesting thing about God is that he knows that without his help, all the things that he's asking you to do, you cannot do them. And that's why he's giving his Holy Spirit to help you to meet that need. And when he points out to you and I what our shortcoming is, like the psalmist, 51 verse 7, Lord, you do not desire sheep, goat, blood, bulls, animals, but a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, you accept. Finally, a believing prayer. A prayer that says, Lord, I know you can do it. I'm not who I am. I'm not what I ought to be. The world is not what it ought to be. But Lord, I am here because you have placed me here. It's what will bring me closer to you. Friends, serving God can be a very expensive proposition. In the Old Testament, when you list all those things that they did, it cost a lot. Let me summarize what somebody said. These sacrifices were expensive. Totally, apart from the sacrifices that the people brought on their own personal worship and a great number of lambs slain at Passover, each year, the priests offered 113 bulls, 32 rams, and 1,086 lambs to the Lord. That's how much just to be a nation and to function under God. That's how much it cost them. And Jesus, by one sacrifice, wiped all of that out for us. Praise the Lord. He paid the debt he did not owe. We owe what we could not pay. I need someone. Oh, do you know how to sing that song? Can you try it? Oh, let's try it. If you want to
thank you, thank you for, for singing. You know, I'm amazed at a man called David. When I look at his life and I read his story, I just don't get how they can say he was a man after God's heart. But he was after God's heart because he knew what God wants, what God wanted. And he knew what he could not do. And so when he had the opportunity to show his love for God, it was superfluous. When he decided, I'm going to build a temple for God, and God said, don't do it. If it were me, I want to bless the work of God. They say, I shouldn't do it because I'm a criminal, because I'm a thief, because I'm a womanizer, because I'm this. I said, ah, if he doesn't want my money, finish. I won't do it. I said, God, <laughs> me, you made me. I will serve you. Okay, it's only temple that you say I shouldn't build, somebody will build. But he didn't tell me you don't want my money and my life. And therefore, Lord, I will make it available for your work to be done. And he did. When as a king, the people were sinning. Because of his sin, people were paying for it by dying. God said, now choose whether the people should continue dying or I should kill you or what, or make a sacrifice. Say, I'll fall into your hands. Lord, you can manage me better. Lord, I'll sacrifice to you. So he went to a man in his kingdom called Arana. So this is a place where God says, I should worship. If I'm a king, God says I should worship. I'll just issue an imperial decree like they do and acquire the land for whatever you want it for, which our princes, kings, and presidents do all the time. They acquire the land. If they don't use it, it goes to their friends, families, and loved ones. David looked at Arana and said, 2 Samuel 24, 24. But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God. That cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Hallelujah. My question today is simple. We're talking about focusing on God with our service and our worship. How are you doing that? What's going to be different in your life after you live here? I've shared with you a brief background, sometimes even boring, I know, of the sacrifices that people were supposed to make for God to know that they worship him. And they couldn't do it. Today, God doesn't require any of that from you because Christ has paid the price. But how will you give your body to him? How will you give your tongue to him? How many will you win to Christ this year? How many have you won so far? How many would you even invite to church, to your father's house? You are glad to invite them to parties, to dance, to rejoice with you. How many have you invited to your father's house? What about your money and material gifts? What about your worship and praise? What about your good works? But we cannot end by asking you, if you're here today, and the Lord made you, and he has made all these things available for you. Would you give your life to him and serve him? If you do, you embark on a journey that will last not only in this life, but in the life to come. God bless us and multiply grace unto us. 
now and forevermore. Amen.